says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. He says, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasses my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, he says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. David here talks about some things concerning the uh, nature of God that I'm just going to admit up front. I have a hard time understanding sometimes. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around some of these things. And he begins here by talking about God's omniscience. That's a big word that we don't use a lot of times today, but it simply means that God is all-knowing. And that's hard for me to understand. Um, I like to tell my kids sometimes, and this is sort of a threat for them to behave, but I'll tell them, Dad knows everything, but you know that's not true. That's not true. They get some things by me every now and then. But God's all-knowing, and David recognizes that. He says that God knew him inside and out. In fact, he knew the very position that David was in, no matter what time of day it was. He said, you know when I get up, you know when I sit down. He understood God's th- or David's thoughts. He understood what his plans were. He understood what his motives were. In fact, he knew David so well that David said, Thou art acquainted with all my ways. Everything about David, God knew. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That's really an awesome thought. God is all-knowing. Nothing's hidden from his view. And, and even in the womb before David was ever born, God knew his substance. In Psalm 139 and verse 15, He says, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And so even the things that are hidden to man, even those invisible things that we can't see, God knows. And I want to tell you this morning that we need to remember that as we go through our life day by day. The things you think, the things you say, the places you go, the people you hang out with, the things you do, every little aspect of your life, though others may not see, God knows. how men tend to sin in darkness, a lot of the places that men should not be are on the outskirts of town, it's not lit up real well, you know, it's sort of in darkness, because they don't want people to see, and we may be successful in hiding our actions and hiding our behavior from those we're closest to, but God knows, and so again, let's remember each and every day that all that we do, God is observing us like an open everything. But then David goes on. Well, let's read there, 139. I don't guess I've turned the screen there. Uh, David said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Verse 8, If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And so there was no place that David could get away from God. Now I want to think about this for a few moments this morning, this idea of God's presence. 
That's an awesome thought, too, when you think about God, when you think about His presence. The Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. All that means is that He's everywhere. And so David begins to think about this, and I don't think he was trying to get away from God, but it's sort of an intellectual thing he's going through. Where can I go where God's not? What place could I go where God wouldn't see? What place could I go where God wasn't present? And David concluded, he realized that there's not a single place in this grand universe we live in where he could get away from God. Not anywhere. Not to an unbeliever. That ought to be a fearful thought. Shouldn't it? You know, the unbeliever tries. He may simply cannot get away from God's presence. God's there. He sees. He knows all things. But for the believer, it's a comforting idea. Did you know that if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, that there's no circumstance in this life where you can escape God's presence? That's a very comforting thing to me. Sometimes we get in situations in life and we may feel a little bit alone. Maybe our family's not there for us, whatever the case may be, our friends, but God's there. You know, in the book of the Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, when God had those letters written to the seven churches of Asia, you know, each letter began with the phrase, I know my works. And I guess if our works aren't good, that ought to be a frightening thing. But if we're living a godly life, that's extremely comforting to me. I know what you're going through. I know what's happening. And so for God's people, we'll never find ourselves in a place where God is not present. Proverbs 15 and verse 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Oxford English Dictionary defines presence as the state or the fact of existing, being present in a place or thing. And so it's not a great leap for us to believe that God has a presence. If he exists, he has a presence. That's true with us. We all have a presence today. There's a story of a man who was somewhere he shouldn't have been, and someone asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I've got to be somewhere. You know, we have to be somewhere. We've got a presence in this life, don't we? From the time we're born until the time we die, we have to be somewhere. Even in death, our soul has to be somewhere. We have a presence in that sense. But here's the thing with God. God has much more than just a presence like what you do and what I do. God has what we call omnipresence. That word omni or that term is a Latin term that means all. And so it simply means that God has a state of being present in all. God is present in all places at all times. Now, you think about God and His nature, and the Bible teaches that He's eternal. He's eternal. And when you think about God's omnipresence, you have to conclude, conclude that God was present in all places even before time exists. That's one of the things that sort of, you know, hurts the head to think about. But God had a presence before time even existed. Psalm 90 and verse 2 the Bible says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so if you can picture in your mind from the duration stretching backwards as far as it can, God was, to the duration stretching as far forward as we can begin to comprehend, God is. He's always had a presence. He's always been omnipresent in that way. And so we see that God's presence is very unique compared to our own, isn't it? He's never separated from any part of his creation. I'm going to look at a few scriptures that maybe give us more insight to God's presence. 1 Kings 20. Or 1 Kings 8, verse 27. 1 
1 Kings 8 and 27, Solomon made this statement. He said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. Solomon was regarded as the wisest mortal man that ever lived. Solomon, I think, sat around and thought a lot. He sat around and he contemplated life. He tried to experience everything life had to give him. And he concluded about God that the universe in its totality couldn't contain God. That's big. That's big. I can't wrap my mind around the size of the universe, much less a God that can't be contained by that universe. And so he reckons here that if the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain me, how is some house that I'm going to build going to contain me? You see, God is bigger than this universe. The universe can't contain it. He's ever-present in the universe, but the universe can't contain him. Now, in contrast, you and I, we find our being in God. The Bible tells us that in him we live, move, and have our being. And so we have a constant dependence upon God. And our presence, our existence is contained in him. But God can't be contained. He has an omnipresence in all things. And you know, this idea about God being omnipresent is one of the ways that he distinguishes himself from the God's little g of this world. That's one of the ways he distinguishes himself. First Kings chapter 20, verse 23. We read about Israel fighting the Syrians at this time, one of many times that they clashed. And Ahab and his army had defeated the Syrians up in the hills. There was a battle up in, I don't know if it was big mountains or just hills, but whatever the case, it was in an elevated part of land. And the Syrians went back and reported to their king about what happened in this battle. I want you to read verse 23 with me. It says that the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Notice the little g and how they thought about God. Their god is a god of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And so you can get this picture of the Syrians going up there and getting whipped by Israel. And they said, oh, they must have a god that's a god of the hills. That's why they won. And so they go back and report to their king this, and then in verse 28, God shows his displeasure with how they viewed him, with their wrong concept of him. It says there in verse 28 that there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thine heart, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God listens to their explanation of this defeat. They said, You've got it all wrong. I'm not just a God of the hills. I'm God of everything. I have omnipresence. I'm God over everything. And therefore, I'm going to whip you again. And he did it with that concept of God is not all that different from what people think today. You know, I've been overseas and done some work with the brethren in India and so forth, and it's not all that uncommon over there to hear them talk about the American God. Not our brethren, but the Hindus over there. But they'll talk about the American God as if there's a God in America and all these gods in India. That's sort of how the Syrians feel. Sometimes we hear about a Western God. Always God over the West, but in the it's some different God, maybe. We hear in these different polytheistic cultures where they might have a God that's a God of war. And they might also have a God that's a God of harvest. But they're limited, aren't they? The God of harvest.
Christ is not the God of war, and the God of war is not the God of... And see, they have these limited gods who have a very limited presence. And I'll tell you, even in our country today, we have a little bit of this. Even amongst denominations, it's sort of like you serve your way, your God. I'm going to serve my way, my God. I'm going to tell you, my God's not a God just in the hills. He's not an American God. He's not a Western God. He's not a God of war or a God of harvest. He's not just my God, your God. He is God, period. Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times in this world, this universe that we dwell in today, simply cannot contain him. And men have a, have a false idea about God when they start trying to limit him in that way. So since God is present everywhere, when we talk about the presence of God, what we're really talking about is whether or not we recognize his presence. God is there whether you acknowledge it or not. God is there whether I recognize him or not. And so what we're really talking about this morning is becoming conscious of God's presence in our life. And I'll tell you, that's where a lot of people struggle. I do at times. Being aware and being conscious of God's presence in our life. There are times in my life where I may get caught up in other pursuits and forget about God. You ever do that? Get caught up in just the day-to-day grind. Maybe we don't remember God. I think we all do that from time to time. There may be times in our lives when we get so caught up in grief and anguish from tragedy that occurs in our life that, that we don't recognize that God is there because we've separated ourselves from Him. We're not conscious of His presence. Because all we're conscious of love is our grief and our anguish. You ever done that? I've known people, I've known good Christians who have done that. Who have horrible things come up in their lives. And I mean your heart just bleeds for them. But they got so caught up in that grief that they almost lost sight of God. Did God go away? No. That's very often what the accusation is. Where was God? Well, he was there all the time. Problem is, you were in the closet, not aware of his presence, not conscious of his presence. There may be times that I forget God's presence because I know he's watching me, and I don't really want him watching me at that moment in time. So I sort of ignore him. Think we ever do that? Well, I know I do at times time. When we lose a true consciousness of God's presence, it's sort of like what the Syrians did. Oh, he's just a God of the hills. He's not over us. He's not a God of the valleys. And so it's not a blessed thing when we forget God's presence in our lives. So with that in mind, I want to mention some things this morning that can help us stay conscious of God's presence. He's he's there. He's there regardless of how I react, regardless of how I acknowledge Him. But how do I remain conscious of His presence in my life? And the first thing I want to remind you of is that to find God, you have to seek Him. You have to seek Him. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 29, the Bible says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Who is the writer talking to there? This is interesting to me because he was talking to God's people. And I'll just tell you, when I think about a person needing to seek God, the first thing I think of is, well, that person that doesn't know Jesus needs to seek God. He needs to sit down, and he needs to study, and he needs to seek God. And a lot of times, I sort of have the idea, I found God. I don't need to seek him anymore. 
You know, he was talking to God's people. And the writer makes a promise here that when they seek him, when they seek God, they would find him. David once said in Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the great king of Israel, and yet he makes a commitment to doing what? Seeking God first thing every morning. And I want to tell you that's a good example for you and I. Don't think this morning I'm telling you that you have to do a certain thing like David did, but I'll tell you, getting up in the morning and seeking after God, and we'll talk about how to do that, is a good thing for us. Think about your mornings for a moment. Uh, my wife hates when I do this. I'm going to tell you about our mornings. We get up really early, not quite as early as I did this morning, but my boys, the school bus comes really early. And uh, so the alarm goes off, and we drag out of bed, and it's instant chaos. I mean, it's just instant chaos in the morning. Uh, the boys are slow to get out of bed. i got to go in there three or four times and threaten them with bodily harm if they won't get out of the bed, you know. And, and they're just dragging, and they're fussing over who gets in the bathroom first and feeding them and making sure we get lunches made. And it's just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it, it's a good way to wake up because, you know, there's a lot of activity going on. I call it controlled chaos. Every now and then it gets a little out of control, but it's controlled chaos. So we finally get them on the bus, and they go, and you'd think it'd slow down, but it doesn't. Because now my wife moves into that mode of getting ready to go to work. And I'm going to tell you, you don't get in the way of that. You just don't. That's generally when I go to my office, and I sit down and start trying to take care of business. You know, I look up at some point, and it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock already. She's gone. Kids are gone. But I've got a lot of appointments during the day, so I take care of that. She's working. Kids are at school. And ultimately, we come back together around 5 o'clock in the evening, and once again, we experience controlled chaos until bedtime because there's homework, there's Taekwondo classes, there's football uh, practice, there's all these things, and we're just running everywhere. Until finally, if we're lucky, we get to bed by 10, 10, 30. And then we have to get up and try to make you don't go to sleep. Does that sort of sound familiar? Maybe. What I wonder sometimes is where was God at that? I think that's a fair question. Where was God? You know, from the moment I get up, and I'm probably exaggerating a little bit with the chaos, but really it is chaotic. But from the moment I get up, my brain is scrambled with the tasks that lay before me. just a gospel meeting God. I would think that it would be good for us to get up early in the morning and begin seeking after him like what David did. Here's the paradox. God is everywhere at all times, but you have to go looking for him. You have to go looking for him. And that's sort of a strange deal when you think about it. Here's why. There's a sense where we don't experience God's presence in our life. It doesn't mean that God's off somewhere where we can't find him, but it means that we're maybe not says, I love them that love me, 
those that seek me early shall find me. I want you to know this morning that God wants you to experience a continual awareness of his presence in your life. Not just when things get bad, when you go hunting in, but every day of your life, in the good times and the bad, God wants you to experience his presence. Sometimes we hear folks say things like, I don't feel like God is with me. Where was God when I was suffering? God's left me. I'll tell you, God doesn't leave you. We become the blood for the Both Old and New Testaments indicate that seeking God involves setting your mind on God. It means that we consciously focus our mind on Him. First Chronicles 22 and verse 19. The scripture says, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set your heart, set your soul on him. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So when we seek God, we set our mind, we set our affections on him. Have you ever set your mind on something? Have you ever really set your mind on something? You ever went to bed at night and couldn't go to sleep because you had one thing on your mind that just consumed you? You know, maybe it's some meeting you've got with a, a business deal or something. Maybe it's a problem you've got in your life. I'll tell you when I do it a lot of times, every now and then when I have gospel meetings and I hold, I don't sleep well for about a week before that because I go to bed at night working that meeting through my head and, you know, the sermons I'm going to preach and so forth, and I can't hardly sleep because my mind is set on that. Um, I took a hunting trip here a few weeks back with Brother Sean Zebach and some others, and we weren't very good shots with that deal. Um, We were hunting hogs, and we missed a lot of them. And I went to bed every night for a week thinking about the pigs. What did we do wrong? I was consumed with it. You ever been consumed with your mind? That's what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about set your mind. Oh, God, consume yourself with thoughts of God. Consume yourself with scripture. Consume yourself with things that are good and holy and true. Set your mind on him in that way. That's one of the concepts behind seeking God. It's not like hide and go seek like we play as children, but rather it's a, it's a thing of us setting our minds and setting our hearts on him. But that's not all. Seeking God involves calling out to God as well. Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Uh, Daniel once prayed, and uh, or said that he had set his face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication. Zechariah 8, verse 22, associates seeking with calling on God in prayer. The prophet there says, Many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. So there's some connection between seeking God and praying to him. I want to ask you something. You have, we all have relationships in life. What's one thing that defines a relationship with any person? Communication. I don't say that I have good relationships with people I never talked to. I've got some fourth and fifth cousins and great aunts and all this now. I'm related to them, but I never talked to them. In fact, some of them I don't know where they live anymore. But what makes a relationship good is when we communicate, we talk. The people I'm closest to are the people that I talk to the most. What does it say when our communication with God is non-existent. Oh, we may give thanks before a meal. We give thanks when we come to the building on Sunday. 
That's what brings a relationship closer, is communication with one another. God's communicated to you through his word. And he's asked for us to return that through prayer, through calling on him. That's part of seeking him. And maybe that's what David was doing early in the morning. I have a feeling that David was down on his knees. He was putting aside the duties of, of the kingdom for a few moments and down on his knees communicating and calling upon God. There's no more intimate exercise that you can do with God than pray. And sit down and just have a talk. And make him know, uh, let him know the things that are on your mind. What's your prayer life like? Think about that. What's your prayer life like? And so that's some things that are associated with seeking or being conscious of God's presence. Number one, we seek God. We set our mind and our hearts on him and we call on him in prayer. So someone says, well, I still just don't feel God's presence in my life. Well, there may be a reason for that. Maybe you haven't looked for him. Maybe you're not praying. Maybe your heart's not set on him. Maybe it's because you're too prideful. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to being aware of God's conscience is a man's pride or a woman's pride in the And I think that's a great obstacle for us. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked and the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The wicked man, through his own pride, his own arrogance, and his own ego, he won't seek a godly solution. Will he? he won't seek God at all. That man who didn't seek, he's not pride. He's not going to be aware of God's presence. I want you to think about the damage that pride can do to a person. I've just got a couple of things here. Number one, pride makes us unwilling to acknowledge our dependence on anyone, much less God. It makes us do that. The self-sufficient, self-made, self-supplying man in his own life, you ever heard that? Oh, I made my life. I earned what I have. I worked hard for what I have. That man is delusional. And he's not going to say him for God. He's got it all. Why does he need God? He's not going to look for it. You know, there is research that indicates that the periods of time in our country's history where church attendance was the greatest was when the stock market was at its worst. And the time when the stock market was up at its best was when the time people didn't go to church. You know, when we're rich, we don't seek after God. Do you know that one of the sins of Sodom, can I just say, that word, Sodom, your mind immediately starts thinking of things. But you know what the, the prophet said the sin of Sodom was? Pride. Fullness of bread. Idleness. And that led them to the things that they did. And so the self-sufficient man, the prideful man, the man that's so full of self that he won't depend on anyone is not, certainly not going to seek after God either. Number two, pride makes us unwilling to acknowledge our own sin. It makes us unwilling to do that. If a man is blind to his own sin, if he won't acknowledge that, well, why does he need a Savior? Why does he need God who provides that remedy for sin? So he's not going to see. Pride makes us unwilling to pray. I'll tell you one of the most bizarre things I ever run across. I was working with a fellow that had some tragedy that come into his life, and he began to doubt his faith. It was a long, long struggle and didn't end up well. But he came to me one day, and he, it was almost arrogant the way he said it, like he was doing damage to God. He said, you know, I quit praying. 
that something you're proud of? Who do you think you're hurting with that? What are you boasting of? I will tell you, it's his own pride, his own arrogance to let him say something like that. Prayer is our communication with God. No God knows all things. It's a time for me to go to God and say, listen, I'm weak, I'm hurting, I'm in need, whatever, and ask for his help. And pride will prevent us from doing that. Finally, pride prevents us from seeking God's counsel in time of trouble. I want to ask you, if you won't turn to God, who are you going to turn to? Who are you going to turn to? You ever notice how the bookstores are full of self-help books? Just full of them. They've got infomercials for self-help books. Whatever problem you have in life, there's a book for it. And then next year, there's going to be a new book. And I'm thinking, if the old book worked, why would you know that? And then there'll be another one, and it just never ends. And I wonder if we can find the solution in man's answers, why we would need all these books and all these therapists and all this stuff. Who are you going to go to when life gives you problems? Don't let pride keep you away from God. So humility is essential for us when we think about being conscious of God's presence. Now, as we close, I'm going to share a couple of good thoughts. We talked about pride, and that's not all good. I want to share a couple of good thoughts with you. First of all, we've already mentioned this, but when we seek God, we're promised that we're fine. That's an amazing thing. God promises you that if you'll put the effort into seeking Him, you'll find Him. First Chronicles 28, verse 9. David talks to his son Solomon, and I want you to listen to what he said. He said, And now, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the false. Listen, if thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. That's a promise God has made to you, friend. If you look for him, if you look for him in the way that we've talked about this morning, you're going to find God. Jesus made that promise, that same promise in Matthew 7, verse 7. He said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He said, Everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So if you want to feel God's presence in your life, seek him. Look for him. Search for him. Because he's there. Get up early in the morning as David did and pray. Call upon him. Set your mind, set your heart on him. You'll find it. Secondly, I want to share this scripture with you. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. The writer of Hebrews quoted this passage. And it's really an awesome thought when you think about it. And I want you to start by thinking about the majesty and glory of God. Think about how majestic God is and how awesome He is. This is a God that knows everything. This is a God that's omnipresent. This is a God that's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's a God that fills the earth with His glory. Think about that meaning. And then I want you to consider the promise that He's made here in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. He said, Be strong and of a good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I look at me, and I cannot express a speck small enough of how I feel on the side of God. He's so big. He's so majestic. He's so full of glory. And I, I, I say, I can't draw a speck small enough for me. And 
yet he looks at me and he says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. And so it seems to me in those times when maybe I don't feel God's presence, it's not because he's left, it's because I have. And then he promises if you'll just see So you may have wandered away from God's presence. You may not feel his presence in your life, but the answer is just to find him and seek that thing. Call upon him. Set your heart and your mind upon him. He'll be there. And he'll make his presence known to you in your life. I want to close with a word from Psalm 105, verse 4. The Bible says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. So this morning, can we encourage you to make a commitment, whether you're a child of God or not, to seek God and enjoy His presence in your life. I don't think that there's any greater blessing here on earth. Now, heaven's a different story, but when we think about the blessings of being a Christian here on earth, I don't think there's any greater one than the presence of God being with us. You think about all the blessings as a child of God that you have because of God's presence in your life. All these friends comfort that you feel, the strength that you receive from His Word, that's God's presence working in our lives. What a great blessing that is. So this morning, I encourage you to seek Him and look after Him, and certainly you'll find Him. I hope that the thoughts this morning are helpful to you. If there's one here that's subject to the Gospel call, we want you to come and and let us know um, your desire. And if you're willing to confess the name of Jesus Christ before men, of your sins and be buried with him in baptism. The Bible says that you can be a new creature. A new creature. Not just a dressed up version of the old, but a completely new creature. All things are done away.